Let's open our Bibles this evening to uh, the book of Corinthians. I would like to be able to try to get through 12 and 13. After last week, no guarantees at all. But as we look at chapter 12, the first, um, I want to be a little repetitive when the last thing we read in chapter 11 is um, Paul is telling them, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So he is writing to the Corinthians, but he's not there. And um, Corinth, as I've repeated before, a city of 700,000, two-thirds of them are slaves, completely given over to paganism, um, uh, no concept really of what we use as an example last week of of the Lord's Supper, as Paul from a distance is trying to explain to them uh, when you become a believer, uh, well, we we remember the work of the cross, we commemorate that by having communion. Well, they just made it into a great big uh, festival, um, overeating, getting drunk at a communion service, and uh, completely having no idea of what communion was about. And so he's writing chapter 11 to explain to them uh, what communion is. It is the whole idea of remembering um, what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And they were to actually, he told them at the end of chapter 11, um, it shouldn't be a party It should be a time where you're thinking about your own shortcomings and your own sins and exactly what took place when Jesus died on the cross. So it's a time of self-examination where your heart is contrite and um, remembering that the punishment that should be given to you, the Lord took it upon himself. And so that was out of order. I think... We ended last Sunday's message with chapter 14, verse 40, which says, let all things be done decently and in order. And that was the last thing that was going on in Corinth. Now, tonight, as we look at the first section of Corinthians was them being extremely carnal. But as we begin chapter 12, we begin a new section which deals with um, the Holy Spirit. And so we're switching from um, setting things in order, and now Paul's going to begin to explain to them why they're out of order, because they're really not walking in the Spirit, they're always walking in the flesh. So as we get to chapter 12, um, 12, 13, and 14 is one of the sections in the Bible that deals with um, the Holy Spirit, which we'll be talking about on Sunday in the Gospel, and the reality that it's impossible to walk the Christian walk without the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, Paul said he could do nothing apart from Christ. He's divine, uh, we're the branches, unless we abide in him, we can do nothing. So now he's going to, in chapter 12, he starts out by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. This is what they're lacking. They're carnal to the core. And now he's going to explain the third part of the Trinity, 
of um, the necessity of, of course, things are out of order. Of course, you don't get it. The natural man or the carnal man cannot discern the things of the spirit. And please keep in context that um, uh, most Americans have some concept of what Christianity is about, but the city of Corinth had absolutely none, nada. (laughs) So now he's changing gears, and in chapter, let's read the first three verses here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. The implication is they were. Uh, They knew nothing of the Holy Spirit. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however way that you were led. We'll we'll be talking about Aphrodite's and Venus and Cupid um, in just a little bit, but these were the idols that they worshipped. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. That word accursed there, I made mention of the word anathema on Sunday. And um, accursed would mean damned, or in this case, the word used would be cursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I like to use the example uh, when it talks about um, um, worshiping dumb, dumb idols and uh, no one can call, make known to you that uh, Jesus, um, speaking of the Spirit of God, calls Jesus a curse. Well, many of us, myself included, uh, use the Lord's name in vain quite a bit. And I often mention that the very first thing that went after I was born again is um, taking the name of the Lord in vain. That went right away. Because the conviction that was there, the Lord was now inside of me. And um, um, that was uh, really the first thing to go. But the born again believer uh, here, we're told, And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You don't have that revelation. Uh, To many people in the world today, if you ask them, who's Jesus? Well, he's a great philosopher. He's a great teacher. Um, He was a good guy, went around doing good good things. But here, um, it's in reference to Lord or literally God himself. And so we have the introduction to the third part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we have a picture of it in several places of the the Trinity. One would have been at the baptism, when Jesus was baptized. Um, We had John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, We had the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, landing upon him. And then we have the Father speaking from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And you have a picture of all three. And it is, it's a unity, they are one. Uh, The point that we made on Sunday was this idea, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
there was never ever separation throughout all eternity until the moment that the sins of the world were placed on Jesus on the cross. And um, we spent a little bit of time in Psalm 22. That was the first verse in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Well, he had to, because God is holy. And he cannot be a partaker of sin. And as we close the Sunday's message with 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. So this is all a new concept to them. He's now concerning spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant. This is absolutely essential um, in understanding you can't walk the Christian walk or understand the word of God without the Holy Spirit directing and showing that to you. Now in verses uh, four through seven, he begins by saying that there are diversities of gifts, but it's the same spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is, there are differences of ministry, but it's the same Lord. Uh, There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. All right, here's the first thing he is teaching to them. He's saying there's one Holy Spirit. And uh, even though there's one Holy Spirit, there's a diversity of how he um, distributes gifts to any born-again believer. And if you're a born-again believer... You have been given a gift. And as it says here, uh, verse 7, if you turn to chapter 14, verse 12, we read, Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So the idea here is the manifestation. When the gifts are manifested, it's with the intent and the idea that it's used to build somebody else up. The worship team came up today, one of the ones that are on vacation anyway. <laughs> um, what did they do? Well, you know, the first song, all of a sudden, your whole attitude can change. And what does it do? It builds you up. What does it do? It takes your eyes off your problems and, and it puts your eyes on the Lord. And whatever may have been bothering you or weighing you down throughout the day, it's like the old song. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's getting your eyes back on the Lord. Well, they're exercising their gift of music. And is it profitable? Absolutely. And so a lot of people... um, hmm, they wonder what their, their gift is, and what comes to mind right now is um, um, Simon or Simeon. Um, when Philip was in Samaria, he was a sorcerer and uh, could do miracles, 
And, um, but he was really impressed with Philip because Philip was being used by the Lord in such a mighty way that uh, they were not only seeing the miracles, then the, the gospel was preached and uh, they were getting baptized. And it says even the sorcerer got saved and he was baptized. But they had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they send to Jerusalem for Peter and John. They come up, they lay hands on those that have been baptized already, and they received the Holy Spirit. And um, it was evident to the point that the sorcerer said, here's, here's 20 bucks, show me how you do that. And he was rebuked by either Peter or John, says, your money perishes with you that you thought you could actually buy the Holy Spirit. It can't be. It's given out. And my point in me bringing up that story is his intent for wanting the Holy Spirit is, I like to call him the, the big man on campus. That's how, he's, <laughs> how I refer to this guy. Everybody admired him, and he was looked, at, looked up to as somebody that was um, more important than maybe somebody else. And now everybody was looking to the Lord and was looking at Philip, and he says, hey, show me how to do that. I want, I want that attention back again. And um, he was rebuked. He says, there's no way that you're gonna receive the Holy Spirit because the reason the Holy Spirit is given is not to build you up, but to build somebody else up. So here, this is being explained. This last, verse seven, it says, it's for the profit of all. So whatever gift the Lord has given you, he's given it to you so that you can build somebody else up. That's the whole point. So that's first seven verses. Verse eight will take just by itself. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Um, Wisdom here means insight into truth. Seeing things that you've never seen before. Um, We do it quite often here at Calvary. I like to take the Old Testament and the New Testament and show you how one's a picture of a teaching. And when you see it, um, you're actually having wisdom imparted to you where you can make the connection. Oh, this didn't happen by mistake. Clearly, the Lord had this happen in the Old Testament, so we would have a fuller understanding of it in the New Testament. And as a result, our faith in the Lord would would be increased. So the this wisdom is insight into truth. Um, I don't think people could understand the Bible, which is the reason we, um, we need God's wisdom. Um, it's the Spirit that gives us wisdom to understand the Scripture. So, in verse, we'll continue in verse eight. But to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, so that's one. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Um, A word of knowledge is actually having insight into a situation that a person is going through, and um, the Lord will reveal that to you in your spirit so that you're able to minister to that person um, through this word of knowledge. And um, 
you could have more than one of these. I've experienced to get a word of knowledge many times, actually. And um, um, so you can have more than one, my point is, at the same time, through the same spirit. So the pattern here is you're going to have words of wisdom, uh, words of um, knowledge, and then we have, um, through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit. We'll get into that at the end of this chapter. To another, the gift of healings by the same spirit. Some people have uh, um, uh, the gift of faith to the point where they um, have, have the gift of uh, actually laying hands on people and having them be healed. To another, uh, the same spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy. Now, prophecy here uh, simply means to declare the will of God. The idea here is prophecy here is actually teaching, teaching the scriptures. And um, that uh, is a gift I believe every pastor, when you get to Ephesians, um, has to have the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching, or they shouldn't be in the pulpit. To another discerning of spirits, um, Paul used this gift um, when he was with, uh, I think it was Silas, oh, I can't remember exactly who, but there was this gal following him around for about a week, and uh, she was demon-possessed, and actually she was uh, um, working for guys that were taking advantage of the gift that she had because she was able to tell people things about themselves, and even future things. And so when, when Paul was traveling, she would walk behind him every day and say, these men are ministers of the Most High God who tell the person the ways of salvation. And this went on day after day after day, and Paul finally had enough of it. And he turned around and he rebuked the spirit that was in the girl. The spirit left the girl and as a result, the guys who were taking advantage of her and making money from her, she no longer had that gift in her because Paul had rebuked the demon that was given those, these insights. And um, um, it was in Philippi because that's where they ended up in jail, now that I think about it. And um, uh, they, they stirred up the whole crowd and and uh, had them beat up because now they lost their business. Their, their, their trade was gone because of that. So here, this would be um, uh, diversities of the spirits, the gift, and the different, different kinds of tongues. We'll talk about that extensively when we get to chapter 14. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. It's one thing to speak in tongues. It's a whole different thing um, to um, be able to interpret what was being spoken of. In Acts chapter 2, um, we read that they, when the Holy Spirit came on a day of Pentecost, that they spoke in other languages. Um, they would speak in a language 
that was um, audible and understandable if you lived in that particular country. But the person speaking the tongue did not live in that country, but was praising and worshiping God in, let's say it was the French language. And uh, you're, you're from <laughs> Africa or something. They understood and they explained that they were speaking and praising the Lord. And um, uh, there was that ability to interpret. Uh, verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. And um, here we have um, in the masculine, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the masculine term, as he wills. So as we look at the first uh, 11 verses, what he is embarking into is explaining to them that there is one God and three persons and that, we'll talk about this a little bit on Sunday. Jesus said, it's expedient that I leave because if I don't leave, then I cannot send back the Holy Spirit who will teach you all things. And the thing about Jesus when he was fully God and fully man, he was in human form, and he could invest himself, if that would be the good terminology, into these 12 men who spent every day and every night with him for, for three years. And when he left, the last thing he said, everything that I've taught you since you've been with me for the last three years, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel and I want you to teach them all the things that I taught you. Well, that would also be when Jesus said, this is the reason I have to go back to the Father so I can send back the Son. Here we have um, uh, the ability, as we read in Psalm 139, that there isn't any place that God is not. Um, David said, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the sea and go to the farthest part of the world, even there your spirit will guide me. So the Holy Spirit is everywhere. It doesn't mean that he lives in every one. That only comes as a result of invitation, and this is where we're headed to on Sunday. So what's his main point here? That there's one God and three persons, and the third part of the Trinity is one. But he has the ability to give different gifts from himself to whoever he wants to, and he will impart that gift to that person. Everybody tracking with me so far? And remember, these they're, they're hearing this. He's not... Last thing it said in verse uh, 11 here, and I will set the rest in order when I come. So now a new change of thought, and he's beginning to explain something that can only be understood when it is received. But he's at least teaching about it ahead of time. Now in verses 12 through 17, we have, so that they can better understand what he's talking about, this is sort of like 
when Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus about being born again, Nicodemus wasn't getting it. So he was using illustrations. I was like the wind blowing through a tree. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effect that it has on a tree. Well, now he's going to, in verses 12 through 17, use a comparison between um, the work of the Holy Spirit and its diversity with the different parts of the human body. So let's pick it up in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are still one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. And now he uses the analogy or the the comparison. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Go ahead, start checking it out. Fingers, arms, nose, ears, toes, you know, all the organs in your body. It's one body, but it's made up of many different parts. And it's the same sort of thing that he did with Nicodemus. He's explaining it to them, even though they're not going to have a comprehension completely of it until they experience it themselves. But he wants to let them know that they're all necessary and there isn't one part of your body that is more necessary than the other one. This is going to be his example. Verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body? That's a question. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, well, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Uh, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So he's been pleased to give us um, um, one mouth and two ears. Just think about that for a second. (laughs) Two ears and one mouth. Um, Different parts, different functions. Um, And if we were all one members, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet it's still one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't have any need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I don't have any need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our representable parts have greater modesty. But our present parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body. We take care of our bodies. We feed it well, hopefully, and um, um, we work out, we exercise, and um, we realize that we have these different parts of our body that are all made up. It's just one body, but 
all these different parts. And um, we shouldn't honor one above the other. They're all necessary. Now remember, he's comparing this to one Holy Spirit and the different parts and different gifts that are there. And we're going to get into that. Um, and the, the, But I should say right here, this is not a complete list of the gifts of the Spirit. There's four other places that we'll look at in the scriptures. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Uh, if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, and then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. And so he gives us a list here of some of the things that the Holy Spirit would give to a born-again believer with the idea of building somebody else up with these gifts. But then he asks this question, are all apostles? And the answer to that is no. Are all prophets? No. He's made it clear that they're different and they've been given as the Holy Spirit wills. Are all teachers? Nope. Are all workers of miracles? Nope. Do all speak with tongues? Nope. But I'm going to stop there and get a little sidetracked. Uh, There are churches today that teach unless you speak in tongues, um, you're not saved. The evidence of your salvation And the fact that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is that you will speak in tongues. So let's just read this in a common sense type way. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? Yes. Do all interpret? No. Do you get the point? So um, it's a gift that is going to be, uh, it's the only gift. Let's stop here and I'll tease you a little bit with chapter 14. This intrigued the Corinthians, this supernatural gift of tongues. But just like with um, um, communion, they were way out of whack with it and they were way out of order. So Paul gives all of chapter 14 just describing the use and misuse and abuse of um, speaking in tongues. That's what the whole chapter is about. The exception with speaking in tongues, if you look at chapter 14, verse four, it says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Well, what did we just say in verse 12 of the same chapter about spiritual gifts? If you have a gift, what's it for? It's to build up somebody else. One exception. And that is the gift of tongues. Um, Paul says, uh, don't forbid to speak in tongues. He says, um, he's, Paul said he speaks in tongues all the time. And um, in verse four of chapter 14, but he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. This is the one 
gift that uh, you're to exercise if you have it for um, edification. But also here it makes clear in, in the same verse um, we mentioned earlier that prophecy is nothing more than teaching and understanding the word of God. And he uses it here as a comparison, but he who prophesies edifies the whole church. And he goes on to explain, if I would speak in, in tongues, nobody would understand what I'm saying. And he says, don't do it, especially if there's non-believers that are there. Uh, go to verse 22 of um, chapter 14. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, then there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're crazy? He said, well, what is this? You guys are nuts. And he says, so they were doing all these things. They were intrigued with this gift. So Paul gives a, a whole chapter on explaining um, this uh, particular uh, use and the gift of the gift of tongues. All right. Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all that, of course, is no. But then he says, but earnestly desire the best gift, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. So now we have what is commonly it's just called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. It's only 13 verses long. And um, basically, he sums it all up very, after talking about all these gifts, he uses tongues in verse one. Um, well, let me just start out by saying this. There's, uh, in the Greek, there are three words uh, for the word love. Uh, the first one that I'll mention is eros. Um, eros is um, uh, erotic, um, is passionate. It would involve uh, lust. The Greek word for eros is this um, passionate love. Remember that it was known Corinth was known for the worship of Aphrodite, who had a thousand temple prostitutes. And um, if there were ever a word that would describe a Corinthian, it would be eros. And we have in 1 Corinthians 5 here, um, this man with his father's wife. And the whole church knew about it. And... um, Paul says they weren't doing anything about it. He says, you guys should be um, grieving. The guy needs to be kicked out of the church so his souls would be saved. He was living this lifestyle and thought he was going to heaven. Uh, Verse 70 says, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. So this eros in um, this erotic love that we're reading about in um, chapter 13 would have been predominant in the city of Corinth. Uh, The second word in the Greek for love is phileo. 
And uh, the root of that actually comes from the city of Philadelphia. What do we call the city of Philadelphia? City of brotherly love. So we're talking about love here, but not an erotic love. We're talking a brotherly love uh, that you would have for your um, uh, a brother in the Lord. We're told to love one another, but not in an eros way, but in a phileo way. And the third one in the Greek is the word agape, sometimes referred to as charity, and this would be the divine love. Um, My Bible says God is spirit, God is light, and God is love. And um, we are possessing that love, if you are are a born-again believer, We have these other gifts, but now Paul is going on and saying concerning these gifts, there's something that's more important. And in verse one he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become nothing more than a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So that's the comparison. In other words, if, if you're not, Paul said that it's the love of Christ that constrains me to do what we do. Uh, we should be at the Wednesday night Bible study because we love the Bible. Good place for an amen. And we just uh, want to um, get into the word. Well, just draw closer to the Lord, get closer to him. But if love isn't our motive for wanting to be here, it says it's no different than um, the you know, banging on the symbols that are behind me. And he says, and even I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mystery and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could even remove mountains, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. We had the song that we sang in the early Jesus movement days, Jesus reduced me to love. Um, we, we sing it, we haven't sang it for a while. And um, because without it, nothing matters, nothing counts. Like Paul said, it's, it's the love of Christ. I, when you do that, and that's your motivation behind it, you'll receive your reward accordingly. If, the, if there's another motive besides love, I don't believe you'll receive that gift. It's a clanging symbol. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, we're talking martyrism here, and if I have not love, it profits me nothing. So in these first three verses we have um, given to us here, Paul is saying the gifts are important, but what's more important is the motivation behind the gift, and why you're doing what you're doing. Now, when we get into verses um, four through eight, we have um, the attributes of what the love or agape or charity is really all about. First of all, love never fails. We sang a song tonight um, about um, he'll never leave you, He'll never let you fall. He'll never let you fail. He'll never depart from you. Love never fails. 
But whether they are prophecies, they will fail. Whether they are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. All right, now I've got to stop at verse 8 here and um, uh, do a little... This is probably one of the most debated scriptures in Bible, verse 8, so I'm going to spend a little time on it. Let's read it again. Um, first of all, love never fails, um, but prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Um, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. This has created different denominations, this verse right here, and its interpretation of it. Uh, The debate goes something like this. 12, 13, and 14 are chapters that talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We just read here, love never fails, but um, it says someday um, knowledge is gonna vanish away. Tongues are going to cease, and um, I would begin with the question, um, has uh, knowledge vanished away as far as you're concerned with your walk with the Lord? Answer to that question as far as I'm concerned is no, of course not. And if that be true, um, then I would make the argument, and the argument is, when that which is perfect is come. The question is, what is that which is perfect? And the two debates are this. When that which is perfect comes is a reference to this book. So when we get this book, um, then the gifts will pass away because we have the perfect, that which is perfect has come. Is the Bible perfect? Yes, it is. But on the other hand, the debate is when that which is perfect has come is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When we will see him, now it says in verse 12 at the end, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. It says when we see him, we will be like him. That's why the, if you come from a back persuasion, um, Uh, You can be born again, but they would hold to that this is which is perfect has come. Therefore, the gifts have ceased. And what they call the sign gifts have gone because now we have the Bible. Um, Again, where I would make the the argument is knowledge. That would have to have ceased too if they're going to make that their debate and their argument. I remember years ago, uh, I would have been at Calvary Chapel when they were on the other side of Highway 41. And um, they asked maybe five or six of us, I'm an old timer, so I've been here for a while. (laughs) And they were bringing in a new pastor and they wanted um, us to be part of uh, his initiation process, asking him questions, biblical questions, for those of us who may have been around for a while. And um, so the guys were going around and they were interviewing uh, this candidate for a new pastor. And um, 
when it got to be my turn to ask the question, I said, I, I just have one question. My question is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, where it says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. What do you believe that is referring to? When the Bible comes, is that which is perfect? Or is or do you believe it's a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ? I says, there's my question. Because I know whatever answer he would give me would explain a lot of his theology. Just by asking that one simple question. He said, I believe your question, that which is perfect has come, is a reference to Jesus Christ. And why don't, why will tongue cease? Well, is there any, if we're going to be like him and um, be like him, is there any tongue that God does not understand? In other words, um, because we'll be like him, tongue is a non-issue because we'll understand as he understands now. And, And yet, um, Pastor Chuck would say concerning this subject that he believes the Lord has raised up the Calvary Chapel movement to be a balance between um, the Baptists who do not believe that the sign gifts are for today and to the extreme Pentecostals who say unless you speak in tongues you're not even saved. Can you see how broad that distance that is? And he said the Calvary Chapel movement is about this right here, first about love. So that's the best gift. And um, um, we are to be a balance in that area. We believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But we also understand that many people, like we read in chapter 14, verse uh, 23, if they come into uh, they had this movement going on today called the, the New Apostolic Reformation, the NAR. And it's a three-ring circus. Um, they have apostles, uh, but in their apostleship, uh, what they say actually can trump the word of God. They're extremely Pentecostal, and many um, um, young people are drawn to it because of the emotionalism that's involved with it. If you haven't done any homework on that, that would be a good one to look up. The NAR, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation, and it's greatly misused. So, um, let's, let's finish up our chapter here tonight. For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when that which is perfect has come, when the Lord comes back, then that which is in part will be done away with. Uh, We won't need some of these um, gifts because we need them now for what purpose? To build up somebody else. But when we all get to heaven, that's born again, um, we're one in Christ. And um, the gifts that we use to build people up down here, we won't need them up there. I mean, it'll be great. If you want to sleep, you can sleep. If you want to eat, you can eat. But you don't have to do either one of them. That's great. 
Never have to go on a diet, never have to exercise. Um, you'll know as you are known. But that's again, you'll know as you are known. What does God know about you? Everything. So what will you know as far as what is concerned in heaven? Well, everything. And um, let's finish up. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Now remember his audience. He's explaining things that they have not yet experienced. And he's actually, it takes on a deeper meaning for me when I realize who he's really talking to. He's talking to us, obviously. Now we see through a mirror dimly. We're talking about spiritual things. Paul was taken to heaven. He said, I heard things that I can't. It would be a crime if I would try to describe it to you. I can't do it. They're beyond comprehension. Um, So we're seeing through this mirror dimly. He can talk a little bit about heaven, how beautiful it is, and so on and so forth but it's like looking through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He's giving them a Bible study on the Holy Spirit. And this is really the first time they're hearing it. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. And now abides faith, hope, and love. These three. Let me just stop and close with um, the craziness of what's going on in the world today. Um, People are predicting anything from millions of people dying this winter, which is a good possibility, to total financial collapse of our country, um, the total loss of your your resources, your financial resources, and... um, all these different factors in the world that we're living in right now and all these mandates and what are they trying to do? They're trying to take things away from you. And you know what? In some places in the world, they're successful. But you know what they cannot take away from you? They can't take away your faith. They can't take away your hope. And they can't take away your love. They can't do it. They won't do it. Some pastor's in prison, $15,000 fine for doing what I'm doing down here, and that's only growing and intensifying. I don't know what's going to happen. All I look at it as a sign is, boy, it's pretty late, and the Lord could be coming really at any time because of the lateness of the hour. I mean, the stage is set for the Antichrist just to come on the scene. It's all it's all there. But there's this small group of resistors. Second Thessalonians, um, or First Thessalonians 5, I think, we're called the restrainer. And I think it's in verse 7, it says that um, the restrainer will be removed. And I believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now, we're pushing back right now. 
and a lot of churches are. Well, not a lot, some are, let's put it that way. And um, we're looking at it and telling people, no, 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 you only have a worldly perspective of what's taking place in the world right now. Here's what's really going on. What's really going on is socialism and Marxism is being brought together, that's the, the word terminology that Curtis Bowers would use, and it's happening, and it's been predicted for many, many years. And it's all to come around to make a one-world government. There's people out there that know this and explain it, but then they go on to say that everything's going to get better and back to normal eventually. And that's where they lose me. And, um, but they believe it, that somehow that things are going to get turned around, and I'm here to tell you tonight, they don't have the big picture. What's coming next is the rapture of the church. The restraining force is going to be removed. And when that's removed, then there's nothing to hold back the Antichrist from taking the scene. And the first two guys that are going to take our place, one is called Elijah, and I know that with 100% certainty because of the last three verses of the Old Testament. So I hope that teases you like crazy. You can't wait to get home and look at the last three verses of the Old Testament. It'll tell you who one of those are. And the other one, I believe, is Moses. God always leaves a witness. And when he takes us out, they come on the scene, along with 144,000 born-again Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel. And then when Moses and Elijah, there I did it, I blew it. I told you who it was. Go home and look anyway. (laughs) But they get killed in the middle of the tribulation um, by the Antichrist. Well, then what happens if God always leaves a witness? You have three angels. And one of the angels, the first one, goes around the world preaching the everlasting gospel to every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation. And the whole world will be without excuse because they will have heard the gospel. But in the meantime, um, some of you might lose your job for taking a stand saying, no, I'm afraid I'm not gonna take that job. Cost you your job, well, you can't take my faith, can't take my hope, and can't take my love. God bless you. See, uh, see what the car washes, if car wash is hiring this week or not. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we go through chapters 12 and 13 and you begin to impart to this uh, very pagan city of Corinth um, this whole new dimension of, of course they can't live properly. Of course they will do things that are out of order. And now as we look at Paul now telling them the importance of being filled with the Spirit so that they can use their gifts to build up other people. And we thank you for um, this study this evening. And uh, Lord, let our motive always be love. Let us not concentrate on our gifts, but let our motivation always be um, to be motivated, like Paul says, it's the love of Christ that compels us to do what we do. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.